Here is a box, a musical box, wound up and ready to play. Can you guess what is in it today? Welcome to Box 39. I am Bill Lawrence, really. And for the next hour, join me, Adrian Cohen and Ian Talentire as we open Box 39 exclusively for Cone Radio. Hello, I believe I am Ian Talentire. This is the radio show that pulls out the listening treats from Box 39. Now, Ian, tell me this. Have you had a good week? Not bad, the sun's in the sky, the earth is spinning, I'm upright, breathing, and I've played a bit of racquetball. But don't tell the surgeon. And what about you, Bill? Well, you know, I went to Norwich, which is in Norfolk, and uh, it was closed. So, it's time for Cone Radio's Community Wall of Sound. Bill! You've got the key this week. Please open Box 39.
39. What's in it then? Let's listen to Ausgang Exit. All 16 of them have made it tonight and are right there opposite us in the studio. I do particularly like the trombone player tonight. Okay, well, well, let's let uh, Ausgang Exit play away, boys. Carry on, boys, and we'll have a chat. Now, uh, we've got a letter. We're already at this stage in the in the show tonight. We've got a letter in. I'll read it out. Do we aim to answer all our listeners' letters, Bill? Well, certainly ones that come this early. It's fantastic. I'll read this one. Uh, hang on. Put my glasses on. There you go. I read, it says. Hello, dear Box 39, it says. I read, there's a new craze sweeping Sweden. Sweeping? Oh, no, I mean, the new craze is sweeping Sweden. I understand what what you're saying. Plogging. Apparently, picking up litter whilst jogging. Plogging. Maybe we could do it here, or better still, shogging, which is picking up dog poo while jogging. Jogging. And that's from Daniela Helmet from Brightlingsea. Well, that's a bit of an outrageous suggestion there, Daniela, to be honest. Uh, although maybe sometimes we need to be outrageous in order to solve our problems. Uh, what do you think? Let's consider some of the problems facing us. We've got um, climate change. Uh, lack of economic opportunity, I think, Bill. Yes, is it unemployment. Food and water security, ever more an issue. Yeah, oh, and government corruption. Religious conflict. Oh, poverty. Violence. Oh, well, conflict and war. You're just progressing my idea there, Bill. Natural pandemics and a lack of biosecurity. Well, that's easy for you to say. But so why why are you talking about dog poo then, Daniela? I suppose she, she is because it's all relative, isn't it? If you think about it, in even our smallest problems are important to us, aren't they? Especially as those problems uh, we've just talked about there don't really seem to have solutions, don't they? Even for the, the greatest minds of our planet can't, can't solve those, can they? So maybe we should start small, like Daniela uh, has done out there in Brightling Sea. Maybe we should work up to the big ones. It does depend on the size of the dog, though, Bill, doesn't it? <laughs> Absolutely right, yes. <laughs> OK, so uh, what causes you to look for answers then, Bill? Well, I'll tell you what, I'll tell you, I, I do think about this a lot. You know, bathroom mirrors. Now, my bathroom mirror just steams up just when I need to use it the most. I've got to have a shower, that's when I use the mirror, and it's steamed up. You use the shower and the mirror at the same time? You're quite accomplished, sir. Why don't you just put a heating element in the mirror? Well, well, yes, and, well, I mean, and the well, one that really bothers me is fuel hoses. Fuel hoses at petrol stations that don't stretch round to the other side of the carcass. I can never remember which side the orifice is You see, is I would solve that quite easily. I think there's an easy solution. You just have the, the hoses with the fuel. Why don't they just come out of the ceiling and then of the petrol station and then they could go, it wouldn't be either side, would they? But, you know, I'll tell you another thing. There's another thing that... I just, I'd love a solution for this. You know, I can never replace any of the buttons on my shirts because I can't get that flimsy little thread through that 
tiny, tiny, tiny eye of that needle. Give you a clue. Put your reading glasses on, it'd be much easier. But then again, <laughs> someone could sell pre-threaded needles. Oh. And what yes. gets me is when I bite into a big juicy burger, yes. only to have it disintegrate in my hands. Yeah, well, see, that's easy. I've learnt this from having three daughters who do force me on car journeys to stop at those drive through restaurants you get. And uh, this is what you do next time. Just turn your burger in a bun, just turn it upside down. And then the, th- the big thick bun at the top is now at the bottom. So it's better at holding the sandwich together, isn't it, when it's at the bottom, that, that big thick bun? See? A reverse burger. A, a reverger burger. A reverger burger. Okay. Yeah. Now, I'll tell you this. Uh, well, I'm going to ask you this, in fact. This is one for you, because, you, you know, you've got a mighty brain. Uh, you've solved some of my problems already. Can you solve this one? See, I make cakes regularly, uh, but they just seem to go stale. And biscuits as well. They go rock hard before I can, I can munch them all. So, what can I do? Well, I thought you were making rock cakes and bringing them in. Not that they were stale <laughs> cakes. But anyway, it's quite easy. It's called cookie jar osmosis. You know, being really? of a scientific bent, uh, stick a slice yes, of yes. bread in your biscuit tin, and the moisture from the bread keeps your cakes and biscuits fresh. Well, that's that's absolutely remarkable. Well, that, brilliant idea. No what a solution. Look, Daniela, if you're still listening, uh, there's I'd some have turned off, I think, by now. <laughs> We've got solutions to your problems. Just pick up the dog boo. Now, what you then do with it, that's your massive headache. Don't hang it on us. And don't hang the bags from the branches of the trees near the path. Something someone that actually has a bit of a passion for where I go jogging. I'd suggest you find somewhere else to jog. Somewhere Honda Poupe free. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, or better still, instead of doing all that walking and jogging with all its dangerous moral dilemmas and unfortunate accumulation of problems, why not stay in bed? Why not listen to episodes of Box 39 instead? We're always free of litter and dog poo.
Teenage Wildlife from 1980's Scary Monsters was perhaps one of David Bowie's bequests to his successors. Be true to yourself, or at least to your favourite illusion, but just know that the crowd will mock your ambitions. But as bequests go, it was a poisoned one. There's a vicious challenge in its grudging transfer of power, a cold judgement on a lesser future. It's thought that he was slagging off the likes of Gary Newman when he sang about a kid with squeaky clean eyes, desperate for fame, but becoming a toy of commerce. Just another ugly teenage millionaire, a broken-nosed mogul with nothing new to say. Tony Visconti, the album's co-producer, didn't like the song, thinking it made hard demands of the listener. Ironic, then, that Bowie would sail lucratively on through the 1980s, making less and less demands of his listeners. Essex County Cricket Club fan Lord David Price has long been one of the game's outstanding entrepreneurs, on and off the field, sometimes in the courts, in police interview rooms, in offices at the back of Chinese laundries, or more often than not, quite simply, in hiding. Dear listeners, Lord David Price. my Essex underlings, this is your lordship here. Now listen carefully to what I have to say. First of all, many apologies for my long absence from the airways of Colm Radio. I took a longer than expected sabbatical in the USA at the Bucks County Correctional Facility. I went there initially with ex-England cricketer Chris Lewis to visit an old associate of mine, Stephen Coons. However, on leaving the facility, we got stopped by ferocious guard dogs because some cans of fruit juice in Chris's cricket bag apparently smelt funny. Chris denied everything. And, sadly, the authorities then also apprehended my carload of Scottish salmon, although they gave me no reason why. And so it is with renewed anticipation that I now once again arrive within the borders of Essex County to involve myself in some cricket matches. Of recent interest to me has been the announcement by the ECB of the 100-ball short-form competition. Dubbed the 100 and due to start in 2020, the new format will apparently feature 15 six-ball overs per side and a final 10-ball over. But quite why the ECB has decided to reduce the short format of the game to an even shorter one is baffling to me. However, according to England's Director of Cricket, Andrew Strauss, it is all to do with attracting a more casual audience, particularly young girls and women. 
We want to make the game as simple as possible for them to understand, said Strauss. But some die-hard T20 fans aren't convinced. What about jetpacks for fielders? Why don't we make the stumps out of jelly, said one fan. Why pander to those with the attention span of a gnat? Next it'll be a ten-ball shootout, said another fan. How about sudden death? One ball each. That should be enough for today's attention span, said another. But with only a three-hour time slot available from the BBC for the free-to-air broadcast, and with most T20 games taking well over three hours to finish, I for one am a bit cynical about the reasons given by Mr Strauss. And I'm not the only one. As former England cricketer and columnist for The Guardian, Vic Marks, said recently, It seems the ECB will do anything to satisfy the whims of the broadcasters, and this includes introducing yet another format of the game, which is already overloaded with matches of so many different durations, and it has the gall to call this a simplification. The ECB now prostrates itself at the knees of the broadcasters, even if this means prostituting the game, he said. Hmm, prostitution and cricket, cricket and vices, cricket and... Gambling. My mind has started to wander. What about that final 15 ball over? That lends itself prone to much pecuniary opportunity. In fact, the more I think about it, the more I like the idea. Here's a thought. Why restrict the teams to only the English domestic competition? I suspect there would be a great deal of interest from the subcontinent, Pakistan especially. To kickstart the competition, I'm going to suggest an international team be invited to participate. And this team would be hand-picked by my good self, and only those players with whom I have had intimate dealings in the past would be eligible to play. So here it is, the Lord David Price's International Eleven for the 100 short-format concept. My captain would be outspoken New Zealander, Lou Vincent, and opening the batting with him would be the serene Pakistani, Salman Butt. At number three would be the wily South African, Alviro Peterson, followed by smooth-talking West Indian, Marlon Samuels, and shady Bangladeshi, Mohammed Ashrafal. The keeper would be the crackerjack South African, Tami Solakili. The spinner would be Essex's own Danish Canaria. Naive Essex man Mervyn Westfield would be next, followed by malleable Pakistanis Mohammed Asif and Mohammed Amir, with the last man being the explosive and unpredictable Indian Sri Srisanth. I'm salivating at the prospect of assembling this squad. This would surely bring in the crowds and make for some outrageous plays. Let's hope it takes off, but of course, it will need funding. So that's all for now, my beauties. If you'd like to donate to my worthy cause, then send all of your details, including your bank account information, to Hoax Enterprises, care of Bill Lawrence at Colne Radio. Over and out.
How unique is our community here in North East Essex? What really matters? How different is life really, wherever we live? Well, that was the most extraordinary five minutes. Uh, sat with Adrian and uh, Bill eating our lunch and all of a sudden frenetic activity from the staff as they ran out of the front door and uh, grabbed everything that was on the front step of the restaurant. The uh, ice cream machines, the, uh, the scoops and the cones, the A-frames came in, all because of what initially appeared to be a little shower, but turned into an absolute torrent. And as you can probably hear now, we've got traffic coming down the road, going through what are two parallel streams running either side of the road. It was an absolute deluge. Now, we are in Jakarta in what is classed as the monsoon season, um, and it was only brief, I say, five minutes in length. The amount of water that is fallen, there are torrents of water coming down the, uh, the angled driveways from the back gardens of houses into the gutter. And as I say, we've got streams now running either side of the road. It's a fairly steep camber. Um, but yeah, it's all draining away uh, almost as quickly as it came. The motorcyclists are now in their capes with their reflective stripes on as they go past. And as per usual, we've got at least one motorcyclist coming the wrong way down the one-way street. listening to Out of Box 39 with Bill Lawrence, Adrian Cohen and Ian Talentire here on Cone Radio. This is a time capsule. Wow, it's a beautiful um, May morning. That would be the only way to describe it. Thunderstorms during the night. Not quite as atmospheric as uh, tropical downtown Jakarta, but getting there. Anyway, the air is clear, there's a nice breeze. I've been to collect the boy. We've uh, made our sandwiches, packed the icebox. Remembering that at Dear Old Lords, you can only take two, uh, two quantities of beer wrapped in tin um, into the ground. Whereas if you went to sunny Chelmsford today to see, is it Sussex or Surrey play guy? If you went to see Surrey play at Chelmsford, you'd be able to take the magnificent number four cans into the ground to consume during the tropical heat wave that is about to uh, descend upon northern Essex. But anyway, we're off to Lords to uh, hopefully not witness the demise of England. Um, so don't put money on it, and obviously by the time you hear this, it may all be over anyway. Well, it will be over, because you'll probably hear this on Thursday, or a Thursday. We're now standing at... Colchester station the time is five minutes past seven and we're waiting for a train and the reason we're here so early is because of the wonders of uh, the network rail and engineering works on the line between Ingotstone and Liverpool Street so yes we will be doing the bus transfer from Ingotstone station to Newbury Park and then continuing our journey by that magnificent feat of Victorian engineering the underground <laughs> One, two, three, 
four. Oh, how's going, Exit? You're on fire tonight. Come on, boys. trombone player the more I'm a bit worried by him anyway absolutely fascinating you you sound like the original pitch for that uh, that 1987 comedy classic film Trains Planes and Automobiles starring uh, Steve Martin John Candy I think we need we need to find out what happened next Uh, so we go back in time a few days uh, till after you'd, uh, you'd done that little piece and it was a bank holiday in May all over the country in certain parts there's peace and quiet and tranquility as no trains ran and blokes um, and women and, and women in high-vis jackets with sledgehammers and other fancier equipment were having a bashing away So why on bank holidays then, Bill? That's what I couldn't work out <laughs> Well, I think the reason is uh, maximum disruption maximum impact and maximum profits for the coach companies that carry the weary travellers from train station to train station. So, tell me, Bill, I recognise the title of the film, but so far, nothing cinematic is coming out of your intro, and actually, you may as well have done the intro on Bob the Builder. Well, let me let me tell you about my weekend, then. Uh, will it take long? You're forgetting I was there for quite a chunk will of it. it? Yes, yeah, it's, it's that chunk I wanted to talk about. So, okay, come on, then. Get on well, with it. Okay, so... We got the 7.35 train for an 11 o'clock appointment in St. John's Wood in London. Uh, very smooth, but slow. We were herded like cattle from train to coach, coach to underground. But, but, let's stop you there. We did yeah. get a glimpse of the blue plaque indicating your place of birth from the A12. What's a blue plaque then? Oh, you know very well. A blue plaque started in 1966. Now over 900 permanent signs installed in Greater London alone that commemorate a link between the location, a famous person, event or former building on the site, all run by English heritage. But, you know, I've seen them elsewhere, not just in London, I'm sure. Yeah, there are similar schemes uh, administered by quite a range of bodies, including local authorities, civic societies, residents' associations. I mean, I could go on. The plaques erected are made in a variety of designs, shapes, materials and colours. Some are blue, others are not. I have seen brown plaques in the past and white really? ones. Yeah, but the term blue plaque is often used informally to encompass all such schemes. You see, I just thought plaque was something you got on your teeth when you didn't brush it, but you should, you should have. You, I am going to get you a blue plaque for knowing so much about blue plaques. Well, thank you. There are also commemorative plaque schemes throughout the world, and these would include Paris, Rome, Oslo, I've seen some in Dublin, and in other cities in Australia, Canada, Russia and the United States, which I haven't seen, as well as some in, bizarrely enough, the Philippines. Oh no, stop, stop, stop. You you know too much about blue plaques. Now, we were travelling, weren't we, from underground line to uh, underground line, and we had that old debate that... Old Chestnut, shall we change at Stratford or shall we change at Bond Street? So we did Stratford, Jubilee Line, uh, around to round two, somewhere. I can't remember where it was. We got Street, I just followed everyone Bank else. Street. Yeah, that's right. Then uh, it was a bit of a trek there, wasn't there, around Marylebone and St. John's Wood and another age-old debate that cropped up. When it, it, And this was the debate. When is it just the, time, the perfect time? 
why can't you can't why can't you find uh, an open greasy spoon cafe with a traditional greasy fry up and the and the the, the greasy spoon of your choice? Well, Google. Um, I must quickly mention that other search engines are available. Didn't really help us because we were basically walking around a maze of St. John's Woods trying to find them. But probably it was because of the bank holiday that the owners are more interested in feeding chips to dangerously fat murderous seagulls on Clacton Seafront. Oh, I yes. mean, you probably filed past them all at Ingatestone Bill as they headed east out of London. That and the very fact it was, Marilla Bone, we were wandering around. There ain't too many greasy spoons. No, so we delighted in a Tesco breakfast and a hard-boiled egg in a single-use plastic container with a little bit of rocket. Who needs rocket when you've had an egg? That's true. I was waiting for the laughter, but okay, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll keep waiting. So anyway, I went for the Marylebone option myself. I went for de pan au chocolat and café noir. You know, the French are very, very careful, aren't they, about limiting their egg intake. Uh, of course, you know, they should say you should only eat one egg at, uh, only at a time. Why is that then? Well, because as the French say, enough is enough. <laughs> Roberts is an English folk singer from South Yorkshire. Here she is teamed up with her husband, Sean Lakeman, to record this cover version of the song 20 Million Things by Lowell George, the work-hard, play-hard primary guitarist, vocalist and songwriter for the rock band Little Feet, as well as a sought-after session musician for his blistering slide guitar playing. He died of a heart attack in 1979, a mere 10 days after the release of this song and his first solo album, Thanks, I'll Eat It Here, a collection of songs reminiscent of early Little Feet, a band he saw as having drifted into jazz rock, a genre that he did not enjoy so much. Cause I've got 20 million things to do, 20 million things, all I can do is think about you with 20 million things, 20 million things to do. 
versus Ausgang Exit. Good day for buses being on time. You know, Ian, uh, I just seen that trombone player. He's just eating a pickled egg. to show that we're live, we actually have had a text from someone who says that the uh, radio app online has gone slightly uh, odd, and it uh, and to, uh, actually, to quote the text, sounds like the two of us have had a stroke. Thank you. <laughs> but anyway, uh, our good friend has retuned via TuneIn now, so hope you can hear us louder and clear. And look, I'm doing some... Uh, see if you can guess what I'm doing here, so you can get a good picture on your radio set. Did you guess? Yeah, that's right. I was doing an impression of that trombone player. It's that slidey in and out thing which will now be corroded internally with the pickled egg breath. Ian, Ian, it's a journey to London. It's been completed. Our place of worship was before us. Lord's Cricket Ground, commonly known, uh, isn't it, as simply as Lord's in St John's Wood, is just a toss, just a slight toss of Sherlock Holmes' deer stalker hat from Baker Street. Yeah, the hallowed turf, the finest test match venue. England versus Pakistan, day four of what is, what should be, well ultimately wasn't a five-day match. No, and, and as, as that spiritual home of the game, you would expect to see the finest, the best, the most inspiring cricket from the host team of England, wouldn't you? You would. And to be quite honest, Bill, I was expecting them to have tried. Yeah, they tried so hard. We all got a 50% refund. <laughs> well, yeah, I think we need to explain that one. Um, it, you see, there's a little bit of fairness with the dear old uh, England cricket board. If you don't get to watch 15 overs of cricket when you've paid your 50 quid, you get a 100% refund. But if you see uh, between 15 and 30 overs of cricket, you only get half your money back. And funnily enough, England paid well enough for the game to last 17.3 overs. Well, that's right. So we got 25 quid back, didn't we? Well, we, we actually got 250 quid back between us. Yeah. Well, I haven't seen any of it because Andrew Oldershaw... There were some very clever maths yeah. went on later in the day, didn't it? <laughs> <laughs> well, OK, then. Look, it's a beautiful Lord's Cricket Ground. We're under the media centre, aren't we? That's a wonderful... Do you know, it's, a, it's, a, it's an all aluminium, that place. Uh, it was only built a few years ago, wasn't it, for the World Cup in 1999. And I think they call it a semi-monocoque building... Uh, it's, I think it's. I think it's the first. I think. I think you might be right. Not yeah. that I am an expert in architecture, but I think uh, you're probably correct, Bill. Uh, yeah, but you know a semi monocoque when you see one, don't you? Yeah, I think it was fitted out in some boatyards, wasn't it? How many? Prize-winning architecture it was, wasn't it? Go on. What, 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 was, what, was the, what else is in the ground? Tell me some more. Well, we were at the. Well, we were opposite the pavilion, weren't we? Which is yeah. the main survivor of the Victorian era. It's a nice chunky red building, grade two yeah. listed, um, and it's reserved primarily for these funny people who dress in salmon pink trousers uh, and mismatching blazers, shirts and ties. In fact, they look a bit of a state, a bit like I was looking, actually, with my clothing as we went into the ground. Yeah, I'm going to talk about that later. Are you? That's, yeah. that's kind of you. And it also contains the dressing rooms where players change and wait their turn to bat. So, actually, England didn't spend very much time in their dressing rooms. Well, what did we witness there? At the home of English cricket, what did we witness um, we witnessed the 132nd Lord's Test match 
Box 39's cricket statistician, Tim Aston, will attest to that. And he lives in Asia. But it was a great position, wasn't it, to watch the game unfold. Compton stand opposite the pavilion to the right of the, the media stand, nursery end. That's where we are. We were we in the were. nursery end. I was, that's the phrase I was struggling for, nursery end. And it was a great advantage to be there. We're in the lower tier of the Compton stand, almost in line with the bowler's arm. Um, and really, did we didn't really care too much if it was to rain because we were well and truly protected. And uh, you know what? The great thing was it didn't. And uh, we had plenty of shade, didn't we, Bill? And for a man of your age, which is quite remarkable, really, uh, near enough to the facilities. Uh, I think you'll find that's both the uh, facilities and also the bar. Well, it was part of the bar was was part of what created a playful banter wasn't it or, or was it just the gloating of the Pakistani supporters there? I think they were just happy I don't think they were necessarily gloating but... the guy, guy in front of me arrived with just 12 minutes from victory so he got his 12 minutes worth anyway at least he won <laughs> at least he won a very positive wasn't it very positive relationship it was, it was quite quite funny really because we didn't know whether to shake their hands as we sat down shake their hands when England collapsed shake their hands when they were 10, wicket, 10 wickets 10 runs from the end or right at the end so we just settled on all of them really didn't we, we? did and, and what I love at cricket there's no segregation they're all age groups there's men there's women girls and boys and, and just magnificent blazers there were many many magnificent blazers and we had a great view of a sleeping security man it was he was asleep view. wasn't he he was definitely <laughs> he asleep he was definitely asleep it was also a bit of an odd view because it was like, like being inside either a, a, a railway tunnel or even inside a binocular where you get that dark light and then right at the end in perfect sort of brightness almost like an HD picture you've got this bright intense picture it's fantastic but it didn't seem full don't think it was full would no, you think I think it's got a capacity of about 28,000 uh, there wasn't and that many there were definitely a few empty seats up yeah. in the sun exposed but you see I mean it, it makes sense people realised I mean how many overs did England survive uh, less than five yeah. adding a measly six runs to the overnight total loss of four wickets compare that to the stand that Root and Butler made uh, the, the previous day of 126. I mean, you go there, you have an expectation, but unfortunately, not matched. You see, that really is sport, isn't it? The joys sometimes of success and glory. Sometimes the despair, the misery of defeat. You know, we had all of it. We had all the anticipation, the hopes and the fears. But we never stopped laughing, did we, Mr Lawrence? Well, even at Mr Oldershaw's jokes. What is it precisely that's in the box?
In 2013, one-time Dr. Feelgood guitarist Wilco Johnson was diagnosed with terminal pancreatic cancer, and instead of withering away his last days, he decided to spend that time doing what he did best, kicking out the rock and roll. Roger Daltrey quickly agreed to join in on the recordings that made up this farewell, backed by Johnson's touring band and comprised mainly of gems from Dr. Feelgood's past, Daltrey fit the songs perfectly. In fact, he hadn't sounded this invigorated in years. The album kicked off with this swinging blues bass raver going back home. At the Q Awards in October 2014, Johnson received the Icon Award and announced in his acceptance speech that he was cancer-free. one from the boys of Gauss Gang Exit. Do you know in they rock? It's amazing how all 16 of them get into the studio. Take those pickled eggs away from them, please. So let's talk once more about uh, our visit to the test match, which really did become a lesson in expectation management, didn't it? We had to make judgments on what to expect with the weather. There was uh, what clothing to wear, our levels of our levels of sunburn, and we all had, had a go at looking at the weather forecast. Now, what does a hundred percent chance of rain actually mean? Well. My reasoning, I guess my interpretation of that bill, would be that it's going to rain all day long, wherever you are. Because the southeast had this thing called a yellow weather warning. I understand tonight, actually, we've got an orange weather warning in this area, uh, which means we're going to get something like 80, oh, sorry, 8 millimetres of rain. Um, but... Then, you know, on, on the Sunday, I was expecting to be soaked. So, of course, I wore uh, a nice nice shirt, a jacket, some shorts, and, you know, generally looked the part. Well, I think I'm surprised you didn't get a purple warning for your your uh, your legs, actually. But that's what we'll talk about <laughs> that later. Anyway, <laughs> tell it what, what happened. We're moving towards London, aren't we? We're, we're moving slowly and steadily towards London. We did, and I looked around at you lot only to realise that me and my boy were the only ones wearing shorts on what was now, you know, uh, uh, about half past eight in the morning, going to be a blisteringly hot day. So what were you uh, lot thinking about? What were your thought processes on overheating on a beautiful 
bank holiday Sunday with 0% chance of rain, but still a yellow, yellow weather warning. <laughs> Very confusing, wasn't it? But actually, if you were there, it appeared that people were wearing what they what, what they were going to wear regardless because the range of England shirts from uh, from the aged, slightly ill-fitting cricket shirts to even England football shirts, there was a, but also some magnificent replica green Pakistan cricket shirts and Mr Oldershaw wearing his uh, blue replica England cricket shirt with, uh, can I say it, Waitrose on the front. And, and that's before we get to the hats. As for you, in now I've got to mention it. Uh, Indonesian shirt, that's fine, tick. Uh, walking shorts with the uh, with the ground in car park wall. Memories uh, of Indonesia. Yeah. Some brown brogues, uh, a light blue uh, ankle socks, uh, some needlework pattern, and uh, those legs, which uh, you know, I still bear the scars on my retina, to be honest. But anyway, what compelled you? Was it a bet? Were you, were you being blackmailed by someone to wear that? Well, I think, as I said earlier, you know, you get these members of the MCC, they turn up in their salmon pink trousers, their yellow shirts, their peculiarly blue blazers and that awful tie, they don't match at all and that's the height of good dress. I didn't see why my, you know, my nice P. Smith socks with some nice small songbirds stitched on them and showing off my not-so-bad pins, nicely muscle-toned for a man of my age. Well, for a man of your age. Yeah, yeah. for a man of my age. It's not such a bad look, Mr Lawrence. Well, we did... So, OK, well, you're right. We managed to... Uh, our limited expectation of management, for England survival, within a short time, of course, Plan B swung into action we'd, uh, and, and at full, we'd forced uh, Mr Jones's bank account open. We'd requisitioned 10 tickets for the Essex versus Surrey 50 overs game at Chelmsford. And the full glare of sunshine. And who brought the suntan lotion? Well, yes, fortunately, our aged hero had packed a couple of tubes of skin protection and uh, we watched Surrey when they were slowly hacking and stroking and just tickling their way to victory and the sun really did beat down on us, turning us into damp heaps of... I don't know how to describe it, really, but it... They were damp heats. Yeah, it did require... (laughs) It did require a fair amount of rehydration to to maintain our our marvellous good looks. And what a fantastic idea by the club to close the bars and have a proper rehydration half hour where jug after jug of iced water was offered to the masses. Yeah, it must have been at least 20 people taking that. (laughs) And then I I think you do need to explain umbrella usage. Well, yes, it was shade or die, and uh, thankfully, you had a great big umbrella. I did. Well, my boy brought the great big umbrella. Yeah, good lad. Well done. Well done, guy. So, uh, Must yeah. have taken you back to Borobudur, Bill. You know, your umbrella handling skills were back then. Well, I've always been very good with the umbrella. Yeah. Though I was relieved you couldn't tip the extra sunshine onto me while you were shading yourself. I mean, <laughs> you know, it was good that you were under that umbrella watching the magnificent batting of the Surrey team. The frequently applied factor 30, I've got to say, was the only thing preventing me from crisping up at the edges. Well, yes, but it was wonderful there, wasn't it? I mean, this was real relaxation. It was it was a timeless moment, wasn't it? Yeah, with some proper, proper quality cricket. Yeah. Communal, well, like the communal sporting appreciation, whichever side you were supporting, everyone everyone liked the sport, really, rather than, you know, it didn't matter who was winning. And then, to be quite honest, for the first three hours, I thought Essex were Surrey and Surrey were Essex. Yeah, you were a little confused by the uh, pyjamas being worn, weren't you? Yeah. And it gave us a great opportunity to catch up with old friends and for some of us to eat some great food well proper picnics at cricket aren't they proper yeah, picnics yeah, yeah absolutely cold well, chicken ham canapes fresh lobster pate salads you had all this yeah what freshly baked artisan bread no. stuffed olives you had what, what well, else did you I, have in that I've, I've, chilled white yeah 
well, it was in a white tin. I did see. All on proper plates. Yeah, I saw those. Hang glasses. Yeah. Carried in a cool box. Well, it's it's that, isn't it? Or, of course, there is the uh, the older shore approach. And what's his approach, then? Well, two bags of smoky bacon crisp, 14 cans of Foster's, and a warm scotch egg. is Love Again by Snow Poet, taken from their second album, Thought You Knew, which offers a delicately haunting collection of songs that seamlessly straddle the boundaries of folk, jazz and popular music, and are all infused with a subtle poetic delivery. Singer and main composer Laura Kinsella's mellifluous voice is like a cross between the late Sandy Denny and the Cocteau Twins' Liz Fraser, and this amalgam makes for a truly unique vocal presence. This song, Love Again, encapsulates all that is good about this album, a perfect balance of Chris Heisen's instrumentation juxtaposed with angelic vocals. The lunar landing has, of course, been called off. 
At this moment, about 30,000 miles out from the moon and accelerating fast in towards it, the crew are aiming to curve in behind the moon and out of contact with Earth, fire the only engine they have left, the lunar module's descent engine. The situation is extremely critical and we're monitoring it at all times. Ground control, make it all. now coming to the moment, the last moments of Apollo 13, as it comes in, as it begins its re-entry. The best thing we can do now is just to listen and hope. And we'll only know whether or not that heat shield was damaged by the explosion three days ago. When they come out of radio blackout, all anybody can do now is cross their fingers. Control Houston, uh, we've just had loss of signal uh, from uh, Honeysuckle uh, with Apollo 13. Just about now, they should be going through the moment of maximum heat. 30 seconds to go. Uh, we will attempt to uh, contact Apollo 13 uh, through one of the Araya aircraft. Continuing to monitor this Apollo Control Houston. Apollo 13 should be uh, out of blackout at this time. Uh, we're standing by for any reports of Araya acquisition. You have been listening to Box 39. Is it's uh, oh, excuse me, it's so exciting. I, I can hardly speak. It's the Thursday night community magazine program here on Colm Radio. You have been listening to the wonderful Bill Lawrence sat next to me, the magnificent Adrian Cohen, all that way away in Jag Jakarta in Indonesia, and me, Ian Talentar, and to our very special guest this week, Lord David Price, hiding somewhere, the aristocrat of cricket. Thanks also to our house band, Ausgang Exits. Apart from the trombone player, of course, and all those contributors who have popped up in the last 60 minutes to make our wonderful wall of radio sound. Have you had a good show, Ian? Well, I particularly like that bit where you swallowed the fly, Bill. And what about you? Good show for you, sir? Well, uh, I found it somewhat uh, gravy at times, but at times it was almost ticklish. So, with the 2018 World Cup just days away from the time of me saying, with the word 2018 World Cup just days away, make sure you get your tickets for a very special evening at the Colchester Arts Centre when Colm Radio's Brimbridge's sports writers Anthony Cobain and football writer Kerry Dunn present Why England Lose, a heartfelt examination of England's prospects. You're still struggling with that fly, bro? It's that's on Sunday, the 10th of June at 8 pm at Colchester Arts Centre. Wear your football shirts of choice. But before that, we'll be back next Thursday evening at 8. So from where we are, way down deep in the vaults of Cone Radio Towers, beneath the rich soil and sturdy lands of northeast Essex. Be seeing you. Be seeing you.
boys, I know you're a bit thirsty, but you're going to have to move away from that door to let the tea lady in. And you with the trombone, put it down. Do you know, uh, I don't like that banjo player much either. He's starting to offend me. And what he's just done with that banjo, that's rude. And actually, I don't quite like the, the guy on the little bass guitar. I think we're going to have to get pre-records in the future, Bill. I think we're going to have to get a different band. Oh dear, that'll take some finding. Okay, so what's this there? This is audition number 47, 48, sorry, 48. Okay, show us what you can do. Okay, thank you very much. So, uh, do we have your phone number?